Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. Happy Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of That Anthro Podcast. Today, we have an undergrad from UC Berkeley, well, soon to be UC Berkeley alumni, Katie Ibsen. Um, I met Katie through social media. I've just always loved her social media presence and the things she posts about. So I really wanted to have her on this podcast episode. And I have to say, instant friend. Um, I think you'll be able to tell that we just get along like house on fire. That is such an interesting saying. Like, as I just said that, like, that's such an interesting thing to say. Like, why do we say get along like a house on fire? If anyone knows, tell me. Anyway, um, I won't say too much, but I did want to remind people that um, I do sell podcast stickers and podcast magnets um, with our logo on um, the Redbubble site. I'll have it linked in the description, but it's always linked on my Instagram um, if you want to rock some podcast merch. You definitely can. Um, I'm coming up with a logo for Pride Month, and I'm going to create like more merch with that in case anyone wants like I don't know. I haven't really decided like what merch items. I would say probably at least like mugs because I have um, a dirt podcast mug that I love a lot. So yeah, if anyone has any suggestions for like that anthro podcast merch they would like to rock, let me know. Um, Y'all are going to love the Pride Month logo. It looks super cool. Um, All right. Without further ado, let's get into the episode with Katie. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. I'm so happy that you're here today. Um, I honestly, I've been telling all my guests this, I'm so thankful for social media and I'm so thankful for doing the podcast virtually because it's really just been so great to meet so many awesome people like you. I followed you on Instagram for a long time and I'm really glad that you agreed to come on the podcast. 
Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, I'm also really thankful for social media because I wouldn't be doing what I do today if it weren't for social media. So thank you yeah. for asking me to be on the podcast. Yeah, we're definitely very lucky. Um, and I hope that like even it's one of those things we've kind of taken from the pandemic that will kind of carry through the continuing to build like really good uh, academic relationships on social media as well as just like friendships. Um, so my first question for you actually is your aesthetic on your Instagram is vintage academic and I love it. I've always been a diehard vintage shopper, vintage person, even if I don't like, don't get me wrong, I don't have as nearly of cool vintage outfits as you, but I've always appreciated and loved that. Like when I went to San Francisco, I just spent the whole time in like all the beautiful vintage stores. So I would just love to hear kind of how that became a part of your identity and something that you're really um, proud of and excited to share like on social media. Yeah, I think it's actually, um, it's a little bit complicated. I'll start with the backstory and then get into the, why it's complicated. But um, I started getting into vintage fashion because I, I've never really had a style. And I mean, I guess you could call my style like emo when I was a teenager, but I never really progressed past that. And I wasn't happy with all the clothes that I had. And I remember for, it must've been like Christmas or something. My mom gave me a book that you can buy, I think still at Target that like talks you through like how you actually consider the clothes in your wardrobe and what style you wanna go for and how to thoughtfully experiment with it and then alter your wardrobe to fit what feels right for you. Um, and at that time I had also been coming across a lot of people wearing vintage fashions on my Instagram at the time, which was about cosplay. And so, you know, there's like a very fine line between cosplay, historical costuming and wearing vintage. So I started getting a lot of that on my Instagram page. I was experimenting with my clothes. I was seeing people wearing vintage fashion. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna give that a try too. And I had the perfect excuse. There was a wedding coming up that I was going to and I needed new dresses for it. So I bought two dresses um, from Unique Vintage. So they were reproduction vintage clothes. Okay and wore them basically like the entire week that I was at that event. <laughs> um, I feel like also like vintage clothes are normally like comfier. Now we have very like tight fitting and that's not to say that there aren't like tight fitting vintage clothes but I also can imagine that it's like much more comfortable to wear a full skirt. <laughs> it kind of depends on what type of vintage you're wearing because like the 1950s were very like tight fitted and structured bodices but really big skirts, right? So like the bodice part is going to be tight and uncomfortable, but then the skirt's going to be free and loose. But then you have the 1940s where um, things are not as tight. You're usually wearing like a looser blouse, but then you're wearing a pencil skirt, you know? So it kind of depends on what your comfort levels are. And um, there's also the different art, um, different undergarments for different decades of fashion, which might also alter your comfortability. Yeah. So it's complicated. <laughs> Definitely. Um, let's see. So I started getting more and more into wearing vintage fashion, vintage clothing, um, but bought more vintage and antique items. I think I've come around, I've come out of being like, I have to dress 1950 or nothing. And I'm kind of coming back around to like, let's be more playful with it. Things that are vintage inspired or just look kind of old, maybe cottage quarry or, um, looks like she stepped out of a fantasy novel. As long as it looks like it's something somebody old would wear, I'll wear it. <laughs> um, You're gonna love my grad dress, the one I'm doing my photos in. Remind oh me to do the picture when we're done. Cause it's, yes, it's yes, like please. the type of aesthetic that I'm like, either my mom's gonna tell me I look like an old lady and I don't care or she's gonna love it. You know what I mean? It's just like yes. 
Anyway, continue. I interrupt. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I decided to go with the vintage academic because I had like I said, I previously had my cosplay account on Instagram, and then I started a new one for my vintage clothing because I, I wanted to separate them for whatever reason. And that one, I had gone by that one vintage girl because that's what people at my community college called me. <laughs> but I wanted to turn it into something a little bit more professional, a little bit more academic leaning since I was like intending on going into the world of academia. Mm -hmm. So that is how the vintage academic was born. Since then though, I have like thought critically and I keep in the back of my mind, like some of the implications of wearing vintage fashions. Because one of the um, discourses that happens in like the online vintage community is something called vintage fashion, not vintage values, which basically aims to like separate the act of wearing vintage clothing from like the, the ideologies and um, like practices from those eras, right? So wearing a 1950s dress in people who agree with vintage value, vintage fashions, not vintage values. Um, to them, it is wearing a 1950s dress. And they separate, they say like, you know, that is what I am doing. I am not saying that I agree with like the gendered stereotypes, agree with like the oppressed housewife or agree with like um, segregation. Mm -hmm. So that is one part of it. Another part that I think about a lot is I provide a lot of information about like non-traditional pathways to um, higher education. Um, speaking as somebody who's been low income most of my life myself, but I sometimes worry that like the way that I dress or the way I decorate my apartment is sending a, a visual message while my words are sending another message, right? Because it, it looks more expensive. It looks white European to me. So I worry about delivering a certain type of information from that visual aesthetic. Um, so I try to keep that in the back of my mind. I of it like that. Because for example, like one of my best friends, like, because I, I always like, I don't want to say stalk because it's not like I'm stalking, but like go through your Instagram, people's, my guests Instagram ahead of time, just to really kind of like soak in right before I interview them. And my best friend, Rebecca, who actually lives in San Francisco, decorates her apartment in a very similar style to you. And that's something that I never thought of. And you know what? I think it's because I was raised like probably similar to you in that my great grandma, my grandma, my mom, like it's something we've all appreciated. For example, like the other day I was talking about carnival glass and how I want to like collect carnival glass. And my mom was like, you should ask your grandma. Cause I bet she has some, like in my mind, those like vintage older, but like beautiful aesthetic, you know, not just the, like everything, the like really like antique, gorgeous aesthetic for me, it's always been something prideful, but you're right. It does have a very like European Cologne, not colonial, but almost like it's like we're we're valuing a European style over other styles. Yeah, which could could be skewed as problematic. Yeah, yeah. but I like that you brought that to my attention because it's something I've never thought of, and I think it's good because it's like a, a conversation. It's not necessarily that you are putting off that vibe. It's like some people may interpret that. So it's good to like discuss it and it's good that it's on, you know, your mind. And, you know, you mentioned that you um, um, like to advocate for like non-traditional paths in academia. And I know that you started at Sacramento State College, correct? Or Sacramento Community College. Mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. 
So tell me about, I know you went to Sacramento Community College. Um, what was that journey like getting there and your decision to do community college and then in, in transfer to Berkeley? Yeah, so um, if anybody listening has ever seen any of my YouTube videos, I talk a lot about it there. But so the basic story is um, my, my dad died when I was 12 and I also had undiagnosed ADHD up until last summer. Um, so those kind of, those two combined meant that I really struggled my way through junior high school and high school. Um, I almost didn't pass either of them. Um, I went to summer school most summers and I, I remember um, finding my, my high school transcript when I had to um, submit my materials to UC Berkeley. And I had like a 2.2 GPA. Like I literally barely graduated high school. So when I did graduate high school, I was like, there's no way I, I can't get into a college. There's no point. I didn't bother applying. In my junior year of high school, we had um, like a module in English where we had to write like practice writing or college essays. I didn't do any of the homework because I thought there's no point. Right. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people feel that way, whether it's what they've been told or just internally. Right. And the other thing was my my teacher never once mentioned community college. It was all about applying to colleges mm -hmm. to go somewhere like the UCs or go somewhere out of state. There was no conversation about community college as an option. Um, so I, I did know a couple of friends who graduated a year before me started going to community college. But when I graduated, I was like, I do not want to do school anymore. Like, I'm so tired of feeling stupid and not knowing what's going on. I just want a break. So I took, I decided to take a gap year and like revisit the idea after I'd like spent some time just not doing school. Um, and to be quite honest, what actually drove me back to going to school was that my friends started going to community college and I was have like just getting hit hard by FOMO. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I decided to enroll in a couple of classes at Sacramento City College and I was thinking, I'm just gonna get all of my GEs out of the way first, and then I'm gonna like have fun my last couple semesters. And that was a huge mistake. <laughs> I took a math class and an English class my first semester. Um, the English professor like made me mad. So I like stopped going to class, but I didn't know you had to like actually go into the system, like your portal and formally drop the class or withdraw. Um, so I just failed it straight up. And then um, I got a C in the math class, which to be honest, I'm not all that mad at for like 18 year old Katie. Yeah, um. math is hard. I still can't do math. I got, a, I got my first ever C uh, senior year AP Calc. Yeah, I chose to take statistics in community college so I could avoid the math thing. Yeah. So then the next semester I decided to take only fun classes or like classes that sounded fun, but still fulfilled requirements. So I took um, the psychology of human sexuality and I took the anthropology of religion. And I was in that anthropology of religion class. And I was like, oh, okay. I kind of like, I kind of vibe with this. I like this kind of information. So the next semester I decided to take a biological anthropology class. And um, at the end of the semester, the professor called us up individually to like talk about our grades and whether or not we needed to take the final because she made the final kind of like optional depending on how many points you had. So she called she called me up and she like slides my grade across the table like with my points on it on a piece of paper. And she was like, you have the highest grade of any student I've ever taught. And so I was like, cool, I'm not taking the final. And I like waltzed out of there. And that was the day I decided to major in anthropology. 
yeah. I love hearing that. I feel like we all fall down this anthropology rabbit hole and that's like everyone's story, but I love hearing it every time because it's a different version of the same, like falling down the rabbit hole of anthropology. Oh yeah. And from then I took every single anthropology class my community college offered. And was the goal always to transfer to Berkeley or did that kind of, it was just to transfer period? Um, well, when I entered community college, I didn't know transferring was an option. Oh. Um, I went to the Sacramento City College Extension Center that on UC Davis's campus. Um, so they don't have a lot of, it was like one building, right? So like one floor of classrooms and then one floor of offices. And there wasn't a lot of like promotional material that you see on a, on a typical community college campus about transferring and what your pathway options are. So it wasn't until I got to the main campus because um, I had like exhausted all the classes I could take at the extension campus. And it wasn't until I got to the main campus that I like started seeing that information was like, oh, that's something you're supposed to do. Um, it took me a while to get to the main campus because I had to like take a semester here and there off based on like finances or whatever was happening in my life. So it took me a while to like actually get like full-time units, being in the anthropology club, so on and so forth. But speaking of the anthro club, that is actually the reason why I decided to transfer to Berkeley. Um, the faculty advisor for that for that club at Sac City, her name is um, Natasha Storms, and she is just an amazing individual. She loves enriching her students' lives so much. And every semester she would organize some kind of field trip either to the um, California Indian Museum or to the Grinding Stones in Roseville. Um, but the one that she took me on was to the Phoebe Hearst Anthropology Museum at UC Berkeley. Um, and we all like piled into a truck, me and all of my anthro friends, and we drove out to the Bay Area. Um, I think that time she actually drove us to the closest BART station and we took the BART into Berkeley because she wanted us to experience what yeah. the BART was like. Um, so we got to walk around campus. We went to the D.B. Hearst Museum where the director of the museum gave us a behind the scenes tour. So we got to go downstairs into the collections. We got to see mummies and really, really old books. And they even unlocked like their um, their gold collection. No um, wonder you wanted to go to Berkeley. <laughs> they showed us um, cuneiform tablets that have like dog paw prints still in them. Cool. Oh, I know, I love that field trip was incredible. We also um, spent time exploring the area around campus and we had, um, if anybody listening has ever been to Berkeley, we had lunch at the House of Curry's. Like we just like experienced Berkeley. And when I got back to campus or got back to Sacramento, I was like, so that's, I could go to school someplace like that. And my professor was like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to get you to understand. <laughs> She's like, yeah, that was the point. <laughs> that's why we all piled in the bus. <laughs> Well, exactly. and it's like feasible, you know, it's not like she took you on a plane to some school that was going to require like out-of-state tuition, you know what I mean? Some unattainable goal. It was like a place that's what, maybe an hour and a half from Davis? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Close enough to home mm -hmm. and, you know, the application wasn't terrifying. So yeah, yeah. I actually, um, in 2019, I applied to UC Davis and UC Berkeley because I was like oh my god if I can get in one more semester like one semester early that'd be amazing because I was like maybe they'll give me a spring admission because I don't have all of my requirements and I can spend one semester here finishing my requirements no they rejected me outright 
But I think that's also important to talk about. I like that you're just transparent about it all because so often students are going to think that they're the only ones going through a situation like that. And it's really not the case, you know, mm -hmm. um, everyone's journey is different. And I kind of, and, and I don't kind of love that. I do love that. Um, particularly, I love that, you know, you are so vocal on social media about how important community college is, both financially to get your G. I mean, you talk about it from all different perspectives, whether it's discovering what, you know, like in your case, what it is that you want to pursue at, um, uh, at a UC, at a state school, something like that, but also um, saving money and making sure that you don't, you're not in insane debt when you leave the school. I'm sure that it's very rewarding for you to interact with people. Oh, yes. I love it. I get people leaving comments on my videos saying like, oh, I applied to the UCs and I'm waiting to hear back. And I just, it gets, I get so excited every time someone tells me that they got into like Berkeley or something like that. I get DMs too on Instagram of people being like, I just got into Berkeley and I want to let you know because your YouTube videos really helped me. And I just, I love it all. <laughs> yes. So what was your, like the moment you got into Berkeley, what was your reaction? Oh, well, um, you can watch it on my YouTube video or my YouTube channel if you want. <laughs> oh, I'm going to. I love um, college reaction videos. <laughs> um, that one, that video is actually kind of funny because that, in, when I applied for the you know, fall 2020, I um, applied to more than just UC Berkeley and Davis because Davis was my tag school since that's where mm -hmm. I lived. Um, but I applied to Davis, Berkeley, um, Santa Barbara, San Diego, and LA. Okay. So um, all of those came out after I'd learned about Berkeley. And Berkeley was like, if I got in there, that's where I was gonna go. Yeah. So if you watch the video, you can see me going like, I saved Berkeley for the end because it was the most exciting. But then like, I'm sitting on my bed and I go, oh, cool. I got into LA. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh, <laughs> I already gotten into Berkeley. Yeah. But um, my Berkeley reaction though was like shaking, crying, not knowing what to do. I like literally turned to my mom and I was like, what do we do now? And she was like, uh, you go to Berkeley. <laughs> I love that. Um, that reminds me, I'll tell you my graduate school story because it was yes. pretty funny. So I, so it's East Coast, right? I'm on the West Coast and this, the school that I was like, wait, those two schools I was waiting to hear back from were the East Coast. So I figured if I was going to hear from them, it would probably be before 12 or at least before like one or two, because yes. I figured they're not going to be emailing me like their very last hour of day at work. So I kind of would every morning that I knew the week was coming up, prepare myself in the mornings to like get an email and it was um midterms week so I'm all busy with other things so in the mornings I would just kind of like prepare myself and it was the end of the week it was Thursday and I'm all the next weekend was a, it was a long weekend Friday Saturday Sunday and I'm all I'm not gonna find out on Friday today's Thursday it's one o'clock I'm not gonna find out anymore put aside the next three hours to go work on your midterm but I had a headache so I went to go get a massage and I and I you know obviously like you go into a massage you turn your phone off because it's quiet, like it's nice and vibey. So I turn my phone off and I get out of my little 20 minute massage and I take my phone out of my purse and there's three missed calls and a text from my advisor, my now advisor that says, you've been accepted to George Mason, call me back so we can talk about it. And I scared my poor masseuse half to death because I was like, what? And I'm, all, and I'm all like, oh my God. And she's like, 
what's wrong? Did I hurt? And I'm like, no, no, no. Cause I hadn't even like paid yet. I'm like up with my card in my hand. I'm like looking at my phone, freaking out. And so I just go in my car and I'm like, is this real? Like I got a text. Like I didn't even get an email. Mom. Like that's just how Dr. Temple is. He prefers to be over like phone versus the email. And so I call him back and he, you know, he tells me congratulations, blah, blah, blah. And it was just so crazy. Cause I was like in my car, not at home, the least moment that I was expecting it. I had fully, that's like, always when it comes out, right? Yes. I had fully convinced myself I wasn't going to find out for the rest of the day. So I was like, even that much more in shock when it happened, but it was super great. And I automatically knew like, that's where I was going. Um, oh. But yeah, that's my little grad school story. Cause my undergrad story isn't exciting. <laughs> I love that. Um, this is a good transition. You are a part of something called the accepted society. And um, I'm not entirely sure, like, is it actually like your job or is it kind of like a club that you're a part of that you help out with yeah sure um so it started by me joining the redhead academic Kaylin Grace Apple as a team member at accepted consulting which um does which does like community college transfer and um graduate school admissions consulting so I head up the transfer division there you know I help students with their transfer applications and figuring out what units will transfer and what won't um from that accepted society was born and they were like one in the same for a little while before accepted society branched off and became its own business um we describe accepted society as the new social network and it's, a, it's so i am part of like the the team that runs accepted society i'm like marketing director technically um so i'm in charge of their social media and telling people what content to make and when so let's let's talk about Berkeley. First okay. of all, I think that Berkeley goes so well with your aesthetic. Like <laughs> obviously that's not like intentional at all. It's just I love that. It, like it just automatically makes everything the buildings are so old and beautiful. What's been your favorite thing about being a student at Berkeley? Well, first of all, I'd be lying if I didn't say the way the campus looks wasn't an influence on my decision to go to Berkeley. Love it. Um, no, I love the way the campus looks. Um, I'm going to go off on this tangent for a minute. It's just, um, it's the oldest UC, right? And so it's been developing ever since 1868 when it was founded. So like, it's a little eclectic mm -hmm. and all the, there's a bunch of buildings and a bunch of different styles, but they're also pretty thoughtful about the other parts of campus. Like, um, the green spaces and we have a creek that goes through campus and it's like covered by trees and we have bridges and like little quiet spaces we have a eucalyptus glade um and memorial glade where the grass is where people hang out so i love that the campus is like so eclectic it's pretty small but because it's like broken up into these like smaller little nature spaces it feels really big because you can like if you're on memorial glade you're in front of like the big university and the sun is shining and you have grass all around you versus you're at 4.0 4 hill, you're next to the creek of like bushes, it's very quiet. So I just love the campus in general. Um, but what I actually love about Berkeley, what, what was your question? It was that what's oh, my I favorite said, what was your about? favorite thing about Berkeley? It's a hard question, but I mean, if I didn't say the academics, I'd feel bad. <laughs> um, I really love the professors in the anthropology department here. Um, I don't know, they've been some of the, like the kindest 
most welcoming um, yet challenging, you know, in terms of your academics, people that I've ever met. Like, for example, I was, I was having a really rough time last semester. I think I was just a little bit burnt out and I was like tired of being in the city. I was tired of being away from my fiance and I was just looking forward to winter break. And I was walking home, like <laughs> crying softly to myself. But my professor was walking behind me, like from the class I had just gotten out of. And she was like, I don't mean to eavesdrop, Katie, but are you okay? And she stood on the street corner with me for like an hour while I like cried and vented to her about everything that was going on. She just like stood there and listened and was like, okay, well, what are you doing this weekend? Get out of the city this weekend. And I was like, I guess I could go home. And she's like, yeah, go home. You can take the bus. It's an hour away. Go pet your dogs, be with your fiance, like give yourself a break. And I have that, like that memory is very important to me. So I think the professors specifically make the anthropology experience something else in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, they're also like, besides being incredible human beings, like being kind and whatnot, they're also incredible academics, right? The, one of my favorite professors, she like, she was the museum director at the Peabody Museum at Harvard before she came to Berkeley. And she's like top in her field for Mesoamerican archeology span as well as um, like things like sex and gender and archeology, span which, you know, just Berkeley is a lot of, um, I had this conversation with a professor at community college before I went to Berkeley. Um, she said, if you wanna go into archeology, span don't go to Berkeley because Berkeley is very high level theory and not very much like practical skills or like, you know, actually learning how to set up a unit and do an excavation. Um, and I took that into consideration when I applied, but I'm really glad that I made the decision to go to Berkeley. Um, I also wanted to go to Berkeley because they offered a general anthropology degree and some of the other schools I'd applied to, I'd applied for an archeology span degree, yeah. um, but I, wanted to be more marketable at the end of my undergraduate career if I decided I didn't want to do archaeology anymore. Yeah, that's no, that's a really important um, factor. And I like that my degree is anthropology, but there's an emphasis of archaeology. So it's there, but it's not like my degree is specifically like in archaeology. Right. Um, yeah. And at, at Berkeley, you can decide to, you have to take, there are some classes that you have to there are some classes that you have to take, like you have to take at least one upper division elective in each of the fields, but then beyond that, you can cater it to your tastes, you know, so if you want to take all archaeology classes, you can. Mm -hmm. um, do you have anything that sticks out to you as like your favorite or um, your more most relaxing activities to do outside of school, maybe it's in the city or maybe it's on Berkeley's campus, like a place that you find solace? Um, I just personally love to hear about everyone's kind of like non-academic time and how we all find peace, you know, in the, in the little things. Well, I, I stopped reading as much as I used to read when I was a kid, when I went to college because of how much reading you have to do in college. Um, but over the last semester and winter break, and then this semester, I've picked up reading again. I completely blame my senioritis and my ADHD on fixating on books, but um, I've started reading again and I particularly really enjoy um, taking my books to either Morrison Library, which is, um, if you've seen like on my Instagram stories, it's like the, the old reading room that's all like dark wood and big comfy armchairs. Yeah. 
Um, and I also really love reading in the anthropology library at Berkeley because we are one of only three dedicated anthropology libraries in the nation. And they're trying um, to shut it down. I know, I know, but we're, we're fighting against it. We have like a committee um, that's working with the library like system to figure out a solution. Um, and I actually, I got locked inside the upstairs cage the other week because <laughs> I was like poking around at the books and I didn't hear them like close the door. So when I finally came downstairs, I was like, help <laughs> like I'm just stuck um, so yeah reading mostly okay. and when I'm at when I read at home I like at night I'll have like a snack and I'll wear my satin pajamas and I'll sit down with my book and I'll pretend like my homework doesn't exist yeah that's what I do every night I like I don't my brain isn't working the best at night so I pretty much like stop my work day around like 5 6 p.m if I can um obviously there's some days like that just doesn't happen um and uh, I just pretend like nothing, there are no responsibilities until the next morning when Daisy May wakes me up at 7 a.m. <laughs> like she always does. The second my eyes open, she's like, all right, time to, time to go out. She's right by me. So I don't want to say the words that she knows, <laughs> but like time to go outside. Um, oh, I was going to ask, I know you've been taking adult ballet classes, which I'm going to be taking probably when I'm in Virginia, because I'm just, I'm too much of a mess this quarter. We're going to be done in nine weeks, and I can't imagine myself doing that in the next nine weeks. But you also ride horses, which is something that I love as well. Um, have you been able to do any of that recently? Um, classes were canceled for ballet over spring break, and then I missed them this last week because I was busy, but I completely intend on going back this week. Um, so, yeah, I've gone to as many ballet classes as I possibly could, especially when I sat down, I was like, how many more weeks left? Or, or how many more weeks do I have left? And how many ballet lessons does that equal? And when I saw the number, I was like, oh no, I graduate soon. No, we're graduating. So I, was like, I, just, I just really want to hit on as many like ballet classes as I can. Um, and then the horseback riding, I actually don't do very much. I'm not any good at it and I never was. I can stay on a horse and I can walk, trot, and canter, but I can't really do much else. Um, the the horse I ride is my mom's horse, and my mom has my mom has been a rider since she was like twelve years old. So um, when I go out, when I go home to Davis, I go out to the barn with her and mostly just give him carrots. Yeah, but I'll 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 ride and cool him off after my mom rides on occasion. That's fun. Yeah. Um, I also know that you've had a bit of field experience you know in archaeology and anthropology um what how what I know one of them was like through your community college correct um I mean one of them I did in community college oh, but okay. it wasn't a program through community college oh, okay could you tell me about that program yeah so it's actually I think it's part of the passport in time program which um do you know what that is uh-uh it's this program that like, I guess it's a half program, half database that collects all of like the volunteer archeology span programs across the nation and like puts them on one website so that you can see what they are. Um, so it was part of that project, but my amazing professor that took us to Berkeley for the first time, she shared a flyer from that in our Facebook group. <clears throat> and it was a one or two week volunteer archaeology project with the Bureau of Land Management up in Susanville, California, um, which is in, like the very northeastern corner of California. 
Um, so I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, it's volunteer based. Like, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm going to apply for this and see if I get in. Um, so I applied and they were like, yeah, we'll have you come and help us out. That year, um, there happened to be another person heading that direction from Davis. So she, she picked me up and, you know, I piled all my stuff in her car and we, we drove out to Susanville together. Um, that one was a survey project. So we were working in the middle of nowhere, you know, federal land, which, you know, is another conversation, yeah. <laughs> um, down in a ravine recording petroglyphs. So we had like, we had a, a, a unit of land, like a, a couple acres by a couple acres, I don't remember. Um, and then we were starting from one edge and going to the other edge, recording literally every single petroglyph we could find. I remember standing there and I was like, hey, Jake, isn't that who's now the district archaeologist for the um, Susanville Fire Service Field Office, which is pretty cool. Anyways, I was like, hey, Jake, isn't that a petroglyph all the way up there at the top of the ravine? And he was like, it sure is. Guess who gets to record it? So I had to climb all the way up the rock wall. There's a picture of me like sitting there with my my tape measure pointing out, pointing it out because I was very excited that I'd found it. So as you should be. Um, yes, yeah, so that was the first one. Um, I went back again in the summer of 2019 because I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to do it again. It was with the same archaeologist, um, <clears throat> which if anybody here doesn't know Jake Martin, I highly recommend looking him up. He even has a TikTok. <laughs> Uh, where he has like 70,000 followers. He's just he's an incredible archaeologist and also an incredible human being. Um, so for the second volunteer archaeology week, we were um, doing a survey of a proposed like fence perimeter around a riparian area that the wild mustangs in the area were um, damaging. So the plan was to put up a fence around it and then put in a pipe to a trough so that they could pipe out some of the water into the trough to keep the horses happy. Um, so we went around, you know, did like auger holes and just did like a, a land survey and we did two test units just looking for if there were any depth right um so that was cool because we actually got to put together a unit and learned how to do that and learned how to use um like gps and gis systems and we even found a couple of rock circles too at the top of the hill so that was cool so last summer I had my first paid position as an archaeologist. I was a seasonal archaeological technician through the um, Great Basin Institute um, who partnered who partnered with the forum um, where Jake Martin is now the district archaeologist. So I was working with him but with a different crew lead that summer um, and it was a big survey project. We surveyed something like almost 4,000 acres over the summer. Um, on the side of a mountain, which sucked <laughs> because um, there's like certain protocols that the Forest Service follows where it's like, oh, if it's more than a 35 degree slope, it's considered unsafe and you can't survey it. So we did a lot of like driving around in the car looking to see if there were areas that we could and couldn't survey or had to like deem unsafe. And when we could survey, it was like uphill. So it was really exhausting. Yeah. Um, so we, we did that for most of the summer um, and found a couple of like cool historical things. We found an old road. We found some of the, um, it, they're insulators for like telephone wires or ceramic. Oh. They look like a yo-yo almost. Yeah. Um, and then we also spent some time south of that area surveying some old sites that people had recorded back in the eighties, but didn't collect very much information on. 
Um, so that was cool because those sites were just covered in lithics. Like, if you think you've seen lithics, <laughs> like times it by two. Yeah. Um, and lithics of like all different types too. Cause you know, like you might find like, you know, the same type of obsidian in an area where someone's working, right? But we had like mahogany, we had gray, we had black, we had, it just like all over the place. It was really cool. That is cool. We also found quite a lot of projectile points too, which was really exciting. That is exciting. I haven't had any experience with uh, excavating lithics like at all or not surveying, you know, just like finding lithics. But it is funny because then you have like, I'll go over to like, people's house and they have like a whole collection and they're like oh you're an anthropology major like look at my collection of like objects and then I just have to sit there and be like mm-hmm that's so oh, painful right. yeah because you know especially with people that are older and it's not like a family member it's not your place to be the one to like lecture them obviously it's different if you have like a, a good relationship with them but uh, yeah I've also had a former teacher email me and be like oh what should I do if I find human remains I'm like why well, first of all why are you asking me that question <laughs> yeah and he's specifically like our native like tribe is the Chumash and he was like well I kind of think they're Chumash remains and I still like I I said you need to give them you need to not have them anymore whether that's giving them to like UCSB or the Natural History Museum or like Chumash but I haven't heard anything since and I'm still just like how could he like think that they're Chumash you know what I mean like how does he like like what leads you to believe that because he's a history he dreams <laughs> dumb you know Oh, frustrating um but that's just what happens when you're anthropology major people just like they unload that kind of stuff on you and you're like what yep yeah um, no they're always like look at this cool thing that I have and I'm like I I'm gonna pretend like I didn't see or I'm, I'm just like I'm gonna I'm yeah. not gonna look like I can't yeah for sure <laughs> I do have like a small collection of obsidian that was given to me by a professor at UC Davis who mm -hmm. collects who like buys obsidian to do flint napping Mm -hmm. you know, like so not like it's not stolen <laughs> yeah no it's like practicing that like yeah. it's what do we call it um oh my god experimental archaeology there we go yeah. yeah so I've actually I've made a projectile point myself which was pretty cool I actually oh, an adorable story I have a projectile point that I've made myself and I showed it to my nephew because I love telling my nephew things about anthropology and archaeology because yeah. it just like blows his little brain every single time because he's only like seven or eight <clears throat> So I showed him that and then his parents took him to like one of like the the kid activities for like you know learning about the gold mining in California and that kind of stuff yeah. and so he had, he had like the little pan and he yeah. had like a thing of dirt and um a projectile point was in one of them and, and which I'm like finding a projectile point while you're panning for gold is a little problem but you're good oh, yeah. I'm not gonna yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna get into that but he and it was definitely not old right it was like something they'd made for the project mm -hmm. um but he <clears throat> he insisted that his mother take a picture and send it to me because he, he really wanted me to know that he found one oh, I was so, so excited I was like yes oh go Milo yeah you're all I've instilled I've instilled the love in someone else so my um cousin that's around that age I tr I try so hard I want to be cool to him I want to tell him about that stuff and here's what I get. It's not dinosaurs. Oh, just rip my heart out. Tell me about dinosaur bones. If you tell me about finding dinosaur bones, I'll find you cool. You know, but I love it because he's so smart. He knows every single dinosaur and everything about them. So it's cool. But I'm also like trying to, you know, be like, well, I study human bones. And he's just, 
not interested. Doesn't care. Doesn't care. <laughs> so a little why hurt. is it? Why does it like hurt so much more when like your little kid family members don't yeah. find you cool? Yeah, I think it's because the it's because you know they just have like you expect like pure amazement, whereas adults have the like detailed questions. You know, you get you can get like grilled by your adult family member, not even like grilled, but just like all the questions about like how you do what you do and the kids. I just want the like pure amazement, and Bentley just doesn't give it to me, but that's okay. I love him. I am um, speaking of family members though. When I told my um my uncle who helped me pay for community college and my grandma that. I was going to go to UC Berkeley and I was going to study anthropology. Their first two questions were, why UC Berkeley? Why not go to Davis? Because it's closer to home. And what kind of job are you going to get with an anthropology degree? Yeah. Yeah. That's the big question that I get all the time. Yeah. Because my, my mom raised me to pursue whatever I was passionate about. Like, don't worry about getting a job with it. Like she much more values, like, having a quality of life that's important to you. And if that includes studying something you're passionate about, then it does. Yeah. Um, so to, like, to actually be asked that question by a family member, I was like, um, excuse me, I'm going to do whatever I please with that degree. Yeah. Do you have any like ideas or any kind of like in your perfect world, kind of what you imagine for yourself? When I was planning on going into archaeology, I wanted to study Mesoamerican archaeology. So I, I didn't really think much past like doing a PhD to study it, like what kind of job I would have. But I think um, doing something community community participatory or like um, maybe working in the museum in Mexico or like some kind of education regarding archaeology and that kind of stuff, like that's that was kind of like the road that I was heading towards and I always wanted to continue doing like the social media and like share like science communication basically so a combination of that and then like maybe working in a museum somewhere like developing community participatory programs my backup was doing cultural resources management in the U.S. um, which is like not my my favorite type of archaeology but it's definitely the same way I'm like I would do it if I needed money and wanted to use my degree but like it's not like what I aspire to. Now, the plan is to go into um, like the, the critical study of fashion, you know, from a theoretical perspective, but also um, balancing that with courses that focus on like the materiality of textiles and fabric, as well as like conservation. Um, I would like, I still really value like the educational aspect of things. So I still want to be developing like my social media presence and talking about what I study because fashion is like very uniquely positioned as an educational tool because it's something everybody relates to because we all wear clothes, you know? And even if they don't look the same way that you think clothes should look, we all put stuff on our body. Um, And so I was thinking like textile um, conservation, but working like on a team in a museum to develop exhibits and, you know, kind of like a balance between doing research and working with my hands. So the research that goes behind developing an exhibit and then the working with your hands part of like actually mounting the fabrics, conserving them and getting them ready for display. That's kind of where I'm headed. That's so exciting. I can't wait to hear more about that because honestly, that is just something that you're right. It just fits right in, but it's something I've never like heard anyone studying. And so I'm just like super glad that I can like follow you and like see all the awesome things that you do with that because I've always loved fashion. I've always loved all of that. So I'm sure I'm just going to be like casually, like your little biggest fan, like following along because that just sounds so fascinating. And I'm assuming you want to continue doing YouTube videos about it and stuff. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Great. Like there's going to be a whole like moving to New York and getting an apartment, starting school. Yeah. And um, I'm like particularly excited about this program because um, it's not like, it's not like fashion history. So we're not like sitting down and learning a chronology of the way Western fashion has changed. Yeah. It's like, it takes a, a broader perspective. So it tries to understand like fashion within a society or like within society, um, fashion, there's a class called fashion cultures, you know, so like the yeah. way fashion changes globally, as well as like the globalization of fashion. Um, so there's, it's very interdisciplinary. And they said that like the top undergraduate degree that they usually select from like their for their for their students when they admit is anthropology. So it's like this, this the, the intersections of anthropology and gender studies and, and feminist studies all encapsulated in fashion. Nice. You, what you said about your YouTube, like moving to New York reminded me that um, I'm going to do a TikTok series called West Coast Girl Moves to the East Coast. And it's just going to be me on TikTok saying like the most abs, because here's what I know is going to happen. I'm beyond excited to move to the East Coast. That's actually where I wanted to do my undergrad. I'm super thankful though that like UCSB is what worked out. So it's been in my mind for a while. But also I've lived my entire life on the West Coast. So I already know I'm going to do some dumb things. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm going like, to run into things and be like, what? And I just want to document it on TikTok for everyone to laugh at and just yes. like laugh with, not laugh at, laugh with me because I'll also be like understanding that like my conception, it, it's just going to be funny. However, Daisy loves the snow. So that's a good thing. Oh, good. Yeah, actually one of the things I'm like terrified about is, like I'm gonna open. I'm the first time I open my mouth. Literally everybody is gonna know I'm from California. Like, especially if you're in New York, like they can sniff you out from a mile away. So I know I'm. I'm gonna get teased for that. I'm sure. <laughs> At least you're not from Southern California, because that's it's more identifiable. It's yeah, so with the Valley Girl accent. Yeah, because I say like every other sentence, oh, and yes. um, the second I say hella on accident, everybody is gonna be like, <laughs> yeah. But that's really exciting. Um, have you like started? I know I just like put the deposit on like my moving company. Everyone's like, why are you keeping your stuff and moving across the country? And I'm like, because I like stuff. I'm so sorry to tell you. I'm like, even if it's literally just like my little decorations, like I'm not ready to give them up. I'm not keeping most of my furniture. I'm only keeping like two, three pieces that are like, like my bed, you know? Yeah. Are you um, starting a PhD program? No, I'm starting a master's program. Okay. Yeah. Um, the goal originally was to go for a PhD, um, but there's actually becoming a trend specifically like in physical anthropology degrees uh, that they want you to get a master's first. Um, I will say it's a bit counterintuitive because when you go to get your PhD, you get a master's along with it. However, right. I don't control the system. I was just told by every single person that like, don't apply to our PhD program. That's just me being transparent. It was a tough pill to swallow. Um, but ultimately, I really feel like doing a master's is going to be the right step for me. I was internally hiding feelings while talking to PhD programs that I wasn't ready for a PhD. Mm. So I ultimately feel like this was what I deep down knew I needed to do. I actually, I had the same experience when I was looking at PhD programs. I mean, part of it was because um, archaeology is not the program that I should have been looking for. Um, but I was also like, I can, and I, I blamed my, blamed this on my ADHD, but maybe it's just a more universal experience. I was like, I can, I feel like I can think my way around the structure of a master's program 
I have like, if I think about a PhD program, it's just like a black box, you know, like I can't visualize it. And I, I need to be able to visualize like certain aspects of things before I feel comfortable doing them. And I was like, I need that like stepping stone experience of putting together an independent research project, writing a 70 page thesis, like wow. the, the practical work that's gonna come with it. Like I needed something that has like a terminal end date <laughs> to yeah. practice basically. Yeah, I completely get it. I feel like, for example, like if, if I would have been accepted to a PhD, like I probably could have done it, but I don't think I would have been as successful. Mm -hmm. um, and also the other thing is, is that I'm not necessarily like sold on getting my PhD. I think I would like to. Um, and there was someone who I spoke with, Sophie Price. She's currently a, an assistant curator at a museum with her master's and she intends on getting her PhD. She's just waiting to find what she wants to go do it on. Yeah, so that was my other that. thing is like, I have a research question for my master's, for my thesis, that I think is an appropriate breadth for a thesis, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not too big, but it's not too small. Yeah. I don't have any burning question yet that I think could fill yeah. up seven years of a PhD and like the hundreds of pages that a dissertation is. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to get my master's, get those practical skills while also getting the research skills, yeah. work for a while and see what happens. That's exactly how I feel. And I feel a lot more comfortable with that yes, than absolutely. I was putting on a front that I was going to be ready for a PhD right away. Yeah. Um, I think that was my last question for you. Is there anything that we didn't get to that you want to chat about or like a question that you have for me? I know that's like something I've been kind of trying to end my episodes with too, is if anyone is like, oh, I have a question for Gabby. Um, first, <laughs> I thought you'd be interested in hearing a funny like part about my application process. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I applied to Parsons School of Design as well as the Fashion Institute of Technology. Um, and FIT was like four short essays, kind of like the UC application, um, which I thought was really weird. <laughs> and they did not ask for a writing sample either, which I also thought was kind of weird. Um, but for Parsons, I had to do like the statement of purpose, the personal yeah. statement and the writing sample. Um, I took the transcription from my corset and archaeology video and like turned it into an academic paper. And that's what I used for my writing sample. I love that. But like a few days after I submitted, for whatever reason, I'm, I've become a professional at hurting my own feelings, right? So doing things that I know I shouldn't. I was like, I'm gonna go back and read my writing sample for no reason. I was just like, I, I wanna make sure it holds water. Um, and so I'm reading it and like halfway through, there's a sentence, like, there's like a, a sentence at the beginning of a paragraph that says the corset known for its underscore blank. Yeah. And I turned in my writing sample that way. And I like, lost my mind I was like oh my god they're gonna reject me and so I ended up getting my application was rejected from FIT but accepted at Parsons where I made that huge error on my writing sample <laughs> well I feel like that they can at least be like clearly that was an error you know I feel like it'd be worse if you just had like a sentence that didn't make sense you know like yeah. like an ill-formed sentence rather than something that's clearly just like a typo like that mm -hmm. um but again it just goes to show like mistakes happen everyone um all right well um oh, I was gonna ask you a question oh yes ask me a question I was just gonna ask how do you feel about moving to Virginia oh my god how do you feel about moving to Virginia are you excited to start your program like tell me like do you have your courses picked out yet like I want to know no I don't have my courses picked out I literally couldn't be more excited so my dream undergrad school was William and Mary in Virginia and 
it's all right. They didn't want me. It's all good. I applied to eight undergrad schools and I got denied from five of eight, which sadly was very shocking. I was a very accomplished high school student, but I think it was good. It very much humbled me. I think I had a bit too much of a big head. Um, oh, so funny because when I cried about FIT, I was like, I haven't been rejected from anything in a long time. So like, this is a weird feeling. Yeah. So it was good. I feel like it humbled me. I kind of maybe like went into undergrad with the mentality like I would kind of get any and anywhere I wanted so I got rejected from the five east coast schools that I applied to and I'm stuck with the three west coast schools and I'm going to be honest originally I didn't want to go to my goal was to go to the east coast um but then I toured UCSB and fell in love and here we are but when I got into George Mason I felt like it was a delayed dream come true like the universe and I knew that Virginia was somewhere I really wanted to be but it wasn't right I wasn't ready for it in undergrad and it was something funny that my mom mentioned she goes you know when we when you were really sad about not getting into the schools on the east coast I told you well don't worry like you can always go there for grad school and That's what my mom said lie. about Berkeley <laughs> yeah it was something that like I didn't even like consider I kind of forgot that we'd had that conversation and I was like, wow, I really am like fulfilling this dream I've had for so long. So for me, it's, it's like beyond exciting. I, I, I could not be more excited. I truly like with my whole heart believe that the program that I'm going to is the perfect fit for me. I think the way that they nurture and treat their grad students is going to be great. Um, I'm so excited to meet my advisor in person, Dr. Temple. Um, I'm excited for Daisy to experience seasons. I also, I just love seasons. California pisses me off because it's just the same all the time. And it's not that I don't like the sun. It's just like when you have a summer, you appreciate the sunny days so much more because of the winter and because of like, if there's a sunny day, you go outside and have a picnic versus here. It's like, well, I could do that any day of the week. So nothing feels special. Like you don't appreciate the really beautiful days. Anyway, that's like how I feel. So I'm really excited to go somewhere where I'm going to have like the whole dichotomy of seasons and experiences and like being able to be inside and be all like cozy. I grew up in Oregon as well. So I have, I, it's hard for me to come to California where it's all just the same because I'm used to like rain and storms. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just like, I, I, the second I like put the deposit on my move, I just, it's been so much easier. I was so stressed not knowing. And I had this like all full quarter just felt like an absolute because we're quarter system at UCSB mm-hmm. just felt like so confused and lost. That was also partly when I was like kind of switching from forensic anth to biowark. But I think it was literally just the, um, the liminality of not knowing where I was going next year. I'm a planner. I wanted to know. And so the second that I found out my senioritis kicked in right away. So it's kind of been interesting because now I'm just like, bye UCSB, let's go. I want to go to George Mason. Yeah, a little bit same. Um, I got like um, a 90, 96 and a 95 or something like that on. Okay, I have, a, I have an A minus in a class and I have a 4.0 at Berkeley. So I was like, I'm pissed that I have an A minus in that class, but I'm taking it. I'm taking it pass, no pass. So oh, it won't okay. affect my GPA. <clears throat> but I was, um, I was on the phone with my fiance and I was telling him like about that class. And I, I, I ended the conversation with, 
well, it's it's past no pass. I already got into grad school. It's yeah. not anything that has to do with my major. And so it's fine. It's whatever. Like I could like not do the rest of the assignments for the rest of the semester and still be fine. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of my classes this quarter. So we just started this quarter a week ago. Every single one has like an assignment and a quiz every week. And I'm all really, I mean, I'm going to do them, but gosh dang like well, you're not gonna be, be happy my, doing them it had to be my senior quarter that I had a schedule like this but you know whatever um it'll keep me from completely like slacking off which is good but my birthday's coming up so I just have to like get everything done like so I can enjoy my birthday weekend because I'm going to Catalina Island which I'm really excited about I've actually never been to Catalina like we were supposed to go in high school and I just never went yeah I haven't been since the seventh grade so it'll be fun 